Good afternoon. Welcome. So glad to see you guys. Uh, as Joe has mentioned, uh, we're going to be relaunching the church at the last Sunday of this month. And uh, it's interesting. I feel like for the past uh, time during this quarantine time, during this COVID time, that God was really wanting to reset things. And I've mentioned that in the past, that I feel like that's one of the things that God was doing during this time, is resetting things. Uh, making things that were not right and wanting us to really look at those things and change those things. To change our priorities and to change our outlook and to change the th way that we look at life and the way that we look at our faith and the way that we look at God. And so I feel like this time of kind of relaunching the church is kind of a good signal for that. We want to just relaunch the church to start brand new. And uh, even the state of California is recognizing that. And June 15th, that's when all of the, a lot of the mandates are going to be lifted. And so we want to follow suit, too, as a church as well. So I want to encourage you to, to come out for that on June 27th. Uh, and as Joe said, we're going to be changing our time as well. And uh, we're going to be stopping the, the live stream. We'll still be recording, but stopping the live stream portion. So uh, looking forward to that. Well, we're going to continue today with the series that we started going through the book of Philippians. Okay, so we, last week we looked at the first half of chapter one of the book of Philippians, and so today we'll look at starting at the second half of the book of Philippians. So why don't we start that in verse 21. And verse 21 is actually a verse that God has been highlighting a lot to me. And it says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to go living on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ through my coming again to you. Okay, so in this section, Paul is kind of describing like an internal struggle he's having. He's struggling inside. Okay, and what's his struggle? His struggle is from his heart's desire and what he feels like is necessary. There's like a battle inside of him, right? And the battle is, he said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Now, it's, when you look at verse 21, that's actually a very strong statement. And it's not something that I think we could take lightly. Right? When we look at Paul's statement saying, to live is Christ and to die is gain. How, much of a, how many of us can really say that? That we really feel that way. That to live is Christ and if we actually died, that would be a gain to us and not a loss. So when I was thinking about this passage and thinking about especially verse 21, I was looking at it and it really related to the series we had done prior to this, which was on the resurrected life. And when we talked about living the resurrected life, the conclusion we had was the resurrected life is Christ's life. That's the life that we live now. The resurrected life, when we become a Christian, that we have a new life, that we're a new creation, that we have a new life, and that life is Jesus' life. So when we think about living that life, we think about the new life we have, it's really Jesus. And this is just another example of that. In verse 21, he's saying, to live is Christ. That's my life. I don't have another life. I don't have other choices. I only have one life, and that life is Christ. I was, um, I was thinking about this, this idea that Christ is our life. And um, this one term kind of came to mind, 
And it's a term that um, we kind of made up, <laughs> but it's a term called God-centric, okay? God-centric, okay? So if you know about the idea of being centric, centric means the center, like the middle, the center, okay? So for instance, like what's the center of our universe? The center of our universe is what? It's the sun, right? So the sun is the center of our universe. And so God was talking about him being the center of our lives, right? And he was saying, you don't need to make me the center of your life. And I was like, I was a little confused by that when the Lord was telling me that. But he was saying, you don't need to make me the center of our life, just like we don't need to make the center of our universe the sun. The sun is already the center, whether you recognize that or you don't recognize that. At one time, people believed the earth was the center. Right? They thought where the earth was flat, they believed the earth was the center of the universe. Everything revolved around the earth. Now, was that true? That wasn't true. That wasn't true. Even though that they didn't believe it was true, the sun was still the center, even though that's not what they believed. And I think that that's what God was trying to show me, that we don't have to make God the center of our life. He is already the center of our life. Whether we believe it or not, whether we recognize it or not, whether we live that way or not, he's still the center. And he was talking to me about that we need to change our mentality of how we view God and how we view our life. That Christ is literally our life. He's everything. So even when we talk about priorities, okay, so have you heard that the military uses this, right? Where they say, God, family, country, right? They have the, those values, God, family, country, the different models that they have. They're talking about their priorities. Okay, so you might have different priorities in your life. You say, okay, I want to put God first, and then maybe my family, my wife, and maybe my children, and then maybe my church or my business or whatever, and you have this priority list, right, of different priorities that you want to have in your life. And then the Lord is telling me that doing that kind of priority list is actually very harmful. That's not good. It's not, it shouldn't be God first, family second, church third, or whatever you have your order. It should be God first, God second, God third, God fourth. He's the only one, he's the only item on our list. There's only one item on the menu. There's only one thing on the agenda. It's only God. Does that mean there's nothing else? Of course not. But when I think about my family, it's my family in Christ. It's my church in Christ. It's my business in Christ. It's me in Christ. Everything is in Christ. It's, I, that is my life. That's my lens. That's how I view everything is through Christ. It's not the way we've come to see it is that this is part of my life. And this is kind of what we do in our Christian life. We compartmentalize it. Sunday is my time with God. The rest of the week, I just live my with God. And I try to be conscious of him. But really, the rest of my week is for me. This is how we've come to see our Christian life, and it's not the way that God intended. He didn't intend us to have be part of our life. He didn't even intend us to have be the most important thing in our life. He meant it to be all of our life. Every aspect of our life is in Him. If I'm in Christ, so are all the things in my life are in Christ. Okay, let me say that again. If I'm in Christ, and the Bible says, we are in Christ. If I'm in Christ, so is my family. If I'm in Christ, so is my money. If I'm in Christ, so is my business. If I'm in Christ, so are all my problems. If I'm in Christ, everything in my life is also in Christ. Think about that. Think about that. 
This is the way we need to view everything in our life. If we are in Christ, if you really believe that's true, then everything about us is also in Christ. All the good things and all the bad things. All the difficulties, all the trials, all the things that you're struggling with, all the things that are hard for you, all the things that you're trying to process, all the things that you're trying to get over, all of those things are in Christ. And it puts a different perspective on it. It puts a different perspective to know that everything that we have, everything we go through is in Christ. It's in Him. That's how we see it. That's how we interact with it. That's how we think about it. That's how we try to focus on it. It's in Him. So when we read verse, verse 21 where it says, For me to live is Christ, this is what Paul is talking about. That Christ is literally His life. It's everything. And if you don't believe the first half, you're definitely not going to believe the second half of verse 21. You're definitely not going to think to die is gain. You know, all, throughout my Christian life, yeah, I've heard this passage many times, right? And if you've gone to church a while, you've probably heard this many times. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We sing songs about it. We listen to passages about this. But really, if I were to be honest, I don't think that I could really say that that's true. For me to die is gain. Right? I would feel like to die is to lose. Right? Then it's game over. It's your life is over. Right? And it's more of a loss than a gain. In fact, there's sometimes that I would think this way, that I think, okay, oh, to die would be gain. To be with God would be better than this life. But you know when that happens? It's when my life is really bad. When my life is really, really hard, then I believe to die is gain. But really my thinking is, I think it's to die is to gain because this life is so bad. Not because being with Christ is so good, but my life is so bad. That's why I think to die is gain. And I just want to use that as an excuse or as escape for me. So it's so hard here. To die is gain. But really, is that what Paul is saying here? Is that Paul views his life as so bad, as so horrible that he wants to escape and he wants to go be with God? I don't think so. Even in this passage, he's writing this from prison. Yet, when we're going to see, when we go all throughout the book of Philippians, what does he talk about again and again? I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing. It's not because my heart, my life is so difficult. It's not because I'm in prison that I'm writing to die as gain. It's not because I think that this life is so hard that I want to escape and I want this to be over. That's not why he's saying to die as gain. He's saying to die as gain because Christ is so much better to him. That's why he's struggling. That's why he's struggling here in this passage. And it says, but if, you know, I'm hard-pressed in both directions, having the desire to depart to be with Christ, for that is very much better. That's how much he feels this way. That's how much he's convinced that being with God, being intimate with God, being in the Lord's presence, having God be close to you, Having God fill your heart and fill your spirit and fill your life, that's more than this world can offer. That's more than anything in this world can offer. That's more than any of the things in this world can provide and to give. It's so much better. So when we look at verse 21, for us, it needs to be that we live for, live for Christ, that he is our life, that we really do believe to die would be to gain. And as the Lord has been maturing me and growing me and helping me experience more of him, 
Now, finally, I can say verse 21. I could say, I'm ready anytime. Lord, you can take me anytime. You know, will it I be sad? I'm not sad for myself. I'd be sad for my kids. I'd be sad for my wife. And I would feel something in that respect for them. For myself, no. No. For me to go and to be with the one that I love and the one that loves me more than he loved his own son, for me to be with him, that's far better. That's not because I hate my life. I love my life. I love everything that God has for me in my life. But it's so much more. It's so much more for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If you're not in that place where you feel like to die as gain, then we need to do the first half of verse 21. We need to live as Christ, right? You can't experience the second half if you don't experience the first half. That to re-change our priorities and our thinking, to look at our life as being everything in Christ. So Paul has this internal struggle, and he says, I don't know what to choose. Really, he's just kind of describing his feelings, right? Because really, he doesn't have any choice, right? It's whatever God decides, right? But he's describing the struggle. But he says, really, I'm going to remain here. And the reason he's that, he said, I'm convinced, I know that I will remain and choose to, to be with you. And he says that it's going to be fruitful labor for him, like, to cry is gain, but while I'm alive, while I'm still here, it's going to be fruitful labor. Okay, and I think that's really important for us to recognize is that when he says that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, but as long as I'm here, I'm going to be used by God. As long as I'm here on this earth, I'm going to be used by God. I want to make every day for the Lord. I don't want to let one day pass that's a waste, that's not used for God. So that's why it's important to live as Christ, to know that everything that's going on, everything that we're experiencing is for him. Whether we go to work, whether with, with our family, that it's for God. All these things you're doing is for God. It's not for other people. It's not for yourself. It's not for money that you do these things. You do it for God. Every day is going to be fruitful labor if you are live to live as Christ. Everything is for him. Everything's about him. Everything's through him. He's the one empowering you to do it. He's the one leading you to do it. He's the one driving you to do it. It's by him. It's for him. It's about him. Everything is about him. This is what fruitful labor looks like. I remember um, when I was back in college, and uh, I had shared how last week, like, when I first became a Christian in college, uh, I was starting to be discipled by my college pastor. So uh, my college pastor introduced us to a friend of his, and he was uh, sharing with a group of ours. And I still remember, it was a long time ago, but I still remember this pastor, what he was sharing. He was sharing about how he tried to develop the habit of, habit of journaling. Okay, and back then, it was really hard for me. I was like, journaling is very hard, <laughs> you know, to, to write in your journal every day. And more recently, I, feel, I found that there's a lot of value in that, right? Because we forget, right? We need to write things down. So, but back then, he was trying to teach us about journaling. And so he was talking about this practice every day. He was just like, read his Bible, he would pray, and then he'd journal. He'd just write down the things that he's getting from the Lord. Okay, so as he's writing them down, he said, God started speaking to him and developing this one practice he did. Okay, and when I heard him telling about this, I was thinking, that sounds very morbid, right? I don't, 
I don't know if I want to do that. So basically what he told me was this. He told the group that, uh, I don't know where he got the number. I don't know if he looked up like the average lifespan of a, of a male person living in the United States or whatever. I don't know where he got the number, but he tried to calculate how many more years of life he's going to live. Okay, so I don't remember how old he was at the time, but he's trying to calculate how many more years do I think I'm going to live here on earth? Okay, and then he multiplied that by 365. And he said, this is how many days I have left. And so in his journal, every day, he would cross one off, and he would put the new total. Every day, it'd be like a time clock clicking down until it hit zero. And I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, that doesn't sound good, you know, for me to do that. Every day, another one gone, another one gone, another one gone. And I was like, oh, that doesn't sound good. But when I look at that, and I heard him explain why, is that I really think that's good. I really think that's good. Not necessarily to do that, calculate that, because no one knows the number of our days. right? We don't know the number of days. But what I did like about that is that he valued every day. As he kept crossing off, he said, did I use that day for the Lord? Did I live for God that day? Or did I live for myself? Did I live for other people? Did I live for the pressures? Did I live for my worries? Did I live for my concerns? And then every day he would keep looking at that and saying, did I live for today? Did I live for Christ? And every day he'd keep crossing it out. And I don't know if it's because I'm older. Now I feel like, yeah, I feel that more. Right? I feel that more. Like, I don't know how many days. But even if you're younger, you also don't know how many days. You know? And I think that's one of the things we've learned during this time, too, with, with so many people you know, passing away and, and contracting COVID and all these different things that are happening throughout the world. You know, look what's happening in India right now, that COVID is going rampant and, and society is going uh, crazy with all the things that are happening, that you don't know how many days we have. And for us to make every day important, we only have a certain amount of days. That's one thing you can't get back. Tomorrow, I can never get that back. I can't live that again. I can't get that back again. You know, this moment right now, it's gone. I can't get that back. <laughs> I can't get it back. I can only do moment by moment, moment by moment, to choose him. When we look at Paul, that's the way he viewed. He says, I'd much rather be with Christ, but if I'm going to stay here, that's going to mean fruitful labor. That means every day, every moment is going to be for God. And it's a high standard for us. It's a high calling for us. And you might feel like, I can't do that. But don't let your inability to do every moment stop you from having that goal. Stop you from having that kind of perspective. That's the heart we want to keep having. Even though we fail, even though we make mistakes. Proverbs says, the righteous man falls seven times but gets up. Right? It doesn't matter if we fail. Right? That God is patient. That God is gracious. That God walks with us. That he's so, I'm so grateful that God is patient. I feel like I'm a very slow learner. I'm very slow in learning the things that God wants me to learn. But he's so gracious and patient. And because he's so gracious and patient, it helps us to have a high bar. Right? If he wasn't that way, then we would keep our bar really low, something that we think we can do. Right? Because if we're afraid he's going to punish us, if we're afraid he's not going to be pleased with us, then we'll just keep our bar really low, something that we feel like is easy. 
But because he has so much grace, because he has so much mercy, keep your bar high. Keep it to where God wants it to be, what he wants your life to be, what you want your life to be, really. That's what you want. Don't think about your ability to do it. Think about what God put in you and what your heart's desire is for, that it's up here. It's not down here. This is the sights that Paul has. This is what he's calling us to. So let's take a look at this last section. So after he talks about to live as Christ and to die as gain, he says in verse 27, he says, only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or remain absent, I will hear of that you are standing firm in one spirit and one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. And that too from God. For, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and you now hear to be in me. So when we look at this last passage, last section in verse 27, it talks about conducting ourselves in a way, manner worthy of the gospel. Again, it's a high calling, right? To live a life worthy of the gospel. But I think in order to do that, we have to have a certain mindset, okay? So, and I'll talk about this when Paul says, uh, not only just to believe on him, but also to, to suffer for his sake. He's talking about persecution. He's talking about the reason he's suffering. He's suffering because he's sharing the gospel. He's getting persecuted for his beliefs. So that's the context when we read this passage about not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. What does that mean? In the United States, I don't think we really have a good idea what this means. In other countries, it's very clear. You go in the Muslim countries, you know what it means to accept Christ. You know what it means to have persecution. You know what it means to have suffering. If you choose this, your family will cast you out. Your family will kick you out. Sometimes your family will try to kill you. Sometimes this is the kind of persecution they face in other countries. They realize the truth of what it means and what it really their choice is about when they say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Christ. They understand how big of a decision that is. I think in the United States, for us, it's not that clear. It's not that clear. We live... I still, it's going down, but I still feel like we live in a Christian nation, right, where we have freedom of religion, that we can meet, that we can meet like this, and we don't have to be afraid that someone's going to come in and throw a bomb in here, or it's going to burn down the church, or to arrest us. We don't have that fear, right? So for us, it's more subtle, but I would say that even now, though, it's getting more. Do you feel that? Do you sense that? Do you see what's going on when you look around in the media? You hear what's going on in society? It's harder to be a Christian now. It's not as hard as it is in Islamic countries or in other places. That's not the case. But for us, this is a brand new environment we're living in to be a Christian. It's harder to be a Christian now. And really, our faith is becoming more tested. But that's a good thing. You know, it's interesting, when I was in China, I was talking to some of the pastors there, and I was looking at just the, the, the drive and then the passion that they have, and, and um, just thinking how hard it is. They always have to be on watch, you know, and they always have to be careful, like, who's looking and who's watching and what they're doing and, and what they're communicating to each other and how we're doing that. And I felt like, oh, that must be so hard to be a pastor in China, 
Yeah, but I was talking to some of the pastors there, and they're talking about how wonderful it is. What a privilege it is to be a pastor here. How much of a joy it is to be a pastor here. And I said, oh, it must be hard, you know, with the government and all this stuff. And it's like, that what's, that's what makes us dependent on God. That's what keeps our faith alive. That's why we trust in God so much. It's, it's so wonderful. And I was listening to it that I was so surprised. It was changing my mind about all the things that I was thinking about them. But I think the same is true for us. We have an opportunity to ex- exercise our faith now. You know, when we're asking to, when Paul is saying live a life worthy of the gospel, he's saying you need to live your life to be a gospel, to be a message to the people. But in order to do that, you have to be different from society. You have to be different from culture. Culture is saying a lot of things, a lot of things that go against the Bible, a lot of things that go against our beliefs. What's our perspective? Where's our stand? What's our belief? Are we going to be afraid? Are we going to be afraid of what people think about us? Are we going to be afraid to say that we believe in this and we believe in this when culture doesn't believe in that? Are we going to close our mouth? Are we going to look the other way? Or worse yet, are we going to start saying, no, that's okay. No, all those things, those are okay. Even though the Bible says it's not okay, really, it's not that bad. It's okay. I can be a Christian and still believe in that. That's all right. But really, what's happening? If we're going to be exactly the same as society, we can't be the salt and light of the world. You know, as Jesus says, you are the salt and you are the light of the world. What's true about salt? It's that it's very distinct. What's true about the light? It's very distinct, right? When you have light in the darkness, you're not going to miss it, right? If it's dark and there's a small light in there, there's no way you're not going to be able to see it. If there's salt, if you pour a lot of salt on food, you're going to know it. Right? You're going to know it. You're going to say, oh, it's too much. But you'll definitely know if there's salt in your food. But if the salt is the same as the food, if the light is just darkness, then what purpose does it have? How, is the, how are people going to know God? How are people going to know Jesus if we're exactly the same as culture? If we're exactly the same as everybody else, if we're exactly the same as our non-Christian friends and family, if there's no difference between our life and their life, how are we being salt and light? How are we making a difference? How, are, how is Christ being shown to people? How do people get to know and get to know who God is? Get to know who Jesus is if our life is exactly the same. If we're going to do this, we're going to experience some persecution. We're going to experience some things that we don't want to hear. People are going to maybe unfriend us. They're going to not want to be with us. But I think sometimes that's more in our imagination than in truth. Sometimes we're thinking, oh, if I say this, they're not going to be my friend anymore. I've thought that too. You know, I thought that some of my non-Christian friends, I said, if I share this and this belief, they're not going to want to be friends with me. Right? They're not going to want to hang out with me. They're not going to want to talk with me. I thought that until I actually shared some of those things, and they're still my friends. Right? Is that always the true? Probably not. Probably not. But I would say a lot of times it's in our own thinking that that's the case, not in reality. We need to be unashamed. We need to be unafraid. We need to value Jesus more than public opinion. 
We need to value God and what's important to us and why we're here on earth more than what people think about us, more than what people say about us. We need to let our faith be the center of who we are. To live is Christ. He's everything. He's everything. Whether we acknowledge it, whether we believe it, whether we live like it, it's still true. Jesus is everything. And if you're a Christian, that's where your life is. Everything is in Christ. That Jesus is our life. And so I pray as we close that you would let that keep sinking in. Let God be in everything that you do. Everything that you see. Everything that you think about. All the interactions, all the choices that you have. Every day, let God be the center of that. Even if it means standing out, even if it means being noticed, if it means doing all of those things, we need to stand up for our faith and we need to let Christ be known. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this message in Philippians and we thank you for verse 121. And we want that to be true of us. We want to say, for me, to live is Christ. And to die is actually gain. It's not a loss. For me to be with you, the one who created me, the one who loves me, the one who loves me and knows me better than any other person, for me to be with that person is better than anything else. So I pray that you would speak that to us, speak that to our hearts, speak that to our minds, speak that to our souls. Let us to really embrace that and to hear that message this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.